Hello and welcome to Brief Musings from a Slightly Crazed Artistic Mind. I'm your host, the aforementioned Slightly Crazed Artistic Mind, Joshua Halstead. Today we're going to be taking a look at one of the great American musicals, the show that changed the face of musical theater forever, and my personal favorite show of all time, Rent. In 1990, a young Jewish man from White Plains, New York, completed work on what he believed would be the savior of musical theater. Eight years of hard work, immense pressure, and giving more than he had to give had led to this. It was to be the next great American musical, the show that reminded Broadway that mega musicals designed for tourists weren't to the core of theater. The show was called Superbia a show loosely based on the novel 1984 by George Orwell, Superbia was set in the not-so-distant future and was a highbrow science fiction story focused on class divides. That young Jewish man was Jonathan Larson. Now, of course, Superbia did not become the next great American musical. It wasn't the savior of theater. It was never even fully staged. But it did pave the way for the next great American musical. Superbia was also always going to be a tough sell. A little too high concept, a little too abstract. Larson was on the right track, however, because he understood the themes that needed addressing in order to revive theater. To set the stage, John Larson was a man without much money who had a crappy apartment in New York and was waiting tables at the famous Moondance Diner. Almost every second that wasn't spent at the diner was spent writing Superbia, and then it didn't take off. Immediately following this, he wrote and performed Tick Tick Boom, a rock monologue. Unlike Superbia, Tick Tick Boom was a pared down true to life show. Larson emerged on stage, introduced himself, and then told the story of the last year or so of his life, partially through dialogue, but largely through song. He was accompanied by only a few musicians, one of whom was Broadway legend Roger Bart. With Tick Tick Boom, he managed to find a sweet spot in lyricism that is being mimicked to this day. He wrote incredibly meaningful, poetic lyrics which incorporated normal human language and slang, which in turn gave the show a feeling of genuineness and intimacy. Another important Larsonism introduced here is the feeling that his shows are both love letters to New York and biting satires of it. Fans of Rent might notice some strong similarities between the two shows, largely because Rent is, in many ways, a fictionalization of Larson's life. In the song 3090 from the earlier show, for instance, he sings lines which reference fairy tales, most specifically The Wizard of Oz, which is also referenced in Rent in the same flippantly joking manner. There are also borrowed melodies here and there. The reason it's important to understand Tick Tick Boom before discussing Rent is that without properly understanding the context and milieu in which John was writing Rent, it may be easy to overlook the brilliance. Larson's youth and career coincided almost exactly with the rise of the AIDS epidemic, which happened to hit New York harder than almost anywhere else in the country. Consequently, he ended up spending much of his formative years watching his friends die one by one from an illness that was not yet understood. Many of his friends belonged to the LGBTQ community, although Larson himself was straight. During this time, 
as it seemed almost inevitable that queer people, and especially those in cities, would contract HIV or AIDS, there was a sense of hopelessness and there was incredible loss constantly within the community. The government's response to the epidemic was largely to say, wear a condom but also probably just don't have sex if you're gay. And we could sit here all day and discuss the motivations behind this, but regardless your stance on it, it wasn't enough. And it's hard not to feel angry and hopeless in the face of all of this. Additionally, it was the time of Reaganomics, or basically unfettered trickle-down economics, which doesn't really work in the first place, but totally unregulated, it has a specific issue. The economy is booming for the rich and the middle class, but it does not change for the poor, poverty-ridden, and or homeless. So as he is watching his friends become homeless, as he is struggling to pay bills despite working full-time, as he's skipping meals in order to survive, he's seeing talking heads on TV tell him that America's economy is booming and to just keep waiting for it to trickle down to him. More and more, the young were becoming disenfranchised and fed up with the era's focus on traditional values that conveniently left millions out cold, starving, and dying. Again, I'm not making a judgment call on the intentions here, just on the outcome of these policies, and the political talk is largely over now, but I hope it's clear from this brief recap that for anyone in this situation, there would be a deep sadness, frustration, and anger. Right, so he writes and performs Tick, Tick, Boom, a show about John Larson, the straight man in a group of nearly entirely LGBTQ plus people who, while having his own struggles, is largely stuck there watching his friends all slowly die from AIDS and unable to do anything to help. He struggles with poverty and artistic frustrations, he is unsure what to do with his life, he can't afford to live, and he is increasingly isolating himself. It's the true story. The success of Tick Tick Boom allows him to write Rent, a fictional story about a man, Mark, who is one of the only straight friends in a group of largely LGBTQ plus people who is not HIV positive. Nearly everyone around him already has the virus or is likely to contract it. He struggles with poverty and artistic frustrations, he's unsure what to do with his life and can't afford to live and is continually isolating himself. This is illustrated perfectly in the song Goodbye Love, when Roger says, you're always preaching not to be numb when that's how you thrive. You pretend to create and observe when really you detach from feeling alive. And a distraught Mark responds, perhaps it's because I'm the one of us to survive. Themes of aging and running out of time are prevalent in both shows, but where in Tick Tick Boom the focus is on Larson, aging and fearing he won't find success with his art, in Rent, running out of time is directly related to mortality. Not only the way knowing they'll soon die affects Mark's friends, but how Mark is affected knowing he'll soon be the only one there, alone. So what is Rent about? Well, it's actually kind of hard to describe, but I'll do my best. For starters, it's based on the Puccini opera La Boheme. The show starts with Mark setting up a VHS camcorder in which he introduces himself and states he'll be filming his life without any script or staging. This is on Christmas Eve. Immediately, we're introduced to Roger, his best friend and roommate, a struggling musician who seems distant and depressed. 
Mark and Roger begin to sing about the life of poverty and screen calls from their parents before getting a call from an old friend, Collins, who says he's arrived to spend Christmas with them. They throw him the keys to their apartment building and continue their song. Below, Collins is mugged, but has no money for the muggers to take. He stumbles through the alley and happens upon a young man playing hand drums on a bucket. The young man helps take care of Collins and introduces himself as Angel. They flirt. Another old friend, Benny, shows up. It turns out he owns the building Mark and Roger reside in, and despite telling them they could live there rent-free, is now asking for a year's worth of rent unless they shut down their friend Maureen's protest in the lot across the street, which is being used as a tent city for homeless people. Roger responds with one of the greatest lines ever written. You can't quietly wipe out an entire tent city and then go home and watch It's a Wonderful Life on TV. Colin shows up with Angel, who made a bunch of money earlier that day by playing her drums so loud a yappy dog killed itself. She volunteers to be the group's benefactor for the evening. And you might notice I'm now referring to Angel as she, and that is because from here out, Angel is mostly always in drag as her female personality. Mark goes to help Maureen, his ex, set up the sound system for her performance slash protest. But when he arrives, there is no Maureen, just her new girlfriend, Joanne. The two initially dislike each other, but become friendly over discussing how Maureen takes advantage of lovers. But it is so magnetic, they can't say no. After this, Mark goes with Collins and Angel to an AIDS support group because yes, both Collins and Angel have been diagnosed. Mark films this for his documentary. Meanwhile, Roger attempts to write his song. It has since been revealed that his girlfriend, to quote the show directly, left a note that said we have AIDS before slitting her wrists in the bathroom. The song he is struggling to write throughout the show is thusly the one great song he wants to write before he dies young. A knock comes from the door, he opens it, and it's a young girl, Mimi, asking for him to light a candle for her since the power is off. They sing an intense, slightly flirty song where three big things are revealed. One, she is a dancer at a club. Two, she uses cocaine to help feel numb. And three, she reminds Roger of his ex-girlfriend. Roger kicks her out because of the drug use, saying he used to be a junkie. Mark and Collins arrive back at the apartment and coerce Roger to go to Maureen's protest slash performance, and then to the Life Cafe afterward with everyone. Roger, deciding that he likes Mimi and misses connection, invites her to join. At the Life Cafe, it is established that Mimi also has AIDS, and that she once had an affair with Benny. The group sings a very long, very fun song in the middle of the cafe, directed at Benny and a businessman he's meeting with. They attempt to make it offensive as a middle finger to Benny. Roger begins to live with Mimi shortly after and gets clean. Mark accepts a new job at a gossip TV show. Benny allows Mark to stay rent-free in the apartment, though largely as a publicity stunt. Joanna and Maureen bounce back and forth between being a couple and breaking up. Mimi starts to have an affair with Benny again. In order to pay for coke, she secretly starts using again when she relapses. Roger pushes her away and breaks up with her, claiming it's because of the drugs and the affair. Joanne dumps Maureen for cheating on her yet again. Mark and Roger get into a massive fight about Roger planning to leave for Santa Fe to write his song. And then... Angel dies. They all go to a funeral, but can't stop fighting.
even as Collins pleads for them to get along. For Angel. The only thing they can all agree on is that Angel taught them to love everyone. All the time. No matter what. Mimi leaves with Benny. Joanne and Maureen get back together. The Undertaker realizes Collins can't pay and refuses to bury Angel. And to everyone's surprise, Benny pays for it leading the two of them to go get drinks while Mark goes to work. Later, in the apartment, Roger and Mark have a blowout fight, and Roger admits he pushed Mimi away because he didn't want to watch her die. He sells his guitar and goes to Santa Fe to live out what's left of his life. But while there, he finally finds his song, and realizes that it was about Mimi all along. He goes back to New York, but Mimi no longer lives in the apartment building, and he can't find her. Mark prepares to screen his film, one year of recording his life edited for the most important moments, when suddenly Maureen and Joanne bring an unconscious Mimi upstairs. They found her in the park with a fever, and she's been living on the streets, and it looks as though she's going to die. Roger hurriedly grabs his guitar and plays his song for her, by her side. Miraculously, she comes too. Now, after hearing that plot synopsis, you may be thinking that sounds very depressing, but you'd actually be wrong, because Rent is a joyful musical. Yes, of course it has its sad moments, but that's not the tone it sticks with. Rent isn't a meditation on the bad parts of life. It's a celebration of the good ones. Allow me to explain. Let's talk about the song Light My Candle, in which Roger and Mimi first meet. The song introduces Mimi's addiction, Roger's insistence on isolation, the spark of chemistry between the two, and Roger's inability to forget his ex-girlfriend who took her own life. Which, in a lesser musical, or even just a traditional one, this would be a slow and sad duet, but instead, the song is a rock power ballad infused with flirty wordplay and numerous jokes. The frank language surrounding death, addiction, and depression make the emotions feel more raw, which means the song is able to bounce around between emotions and thoughts in a way that feels natural, rather than simply dwelling on these intense themes. Then there's also the triple punch of La Vie Bohème, I Should Tell You, and La Vie Bohème B, all three of which flow seamlessly into each other. La Vie Boheme is a big, boastful, energetic song and dance number. Everyone is having a blast, dancing on tables, and intentionally flaunting their bodies, countercultural values, and quirks. Giving the proverbial middle finger to the high society snobs who also inhabit the life cafe. This immediately flows into I Should Tell You, a power ballad duet between Roger and Mimi, where they discuss carrying baggage and uncertainty. Also, this is where it is revealed that Mimi, at only 19 years old, has been diagnosed with AIDS. Next, the guitar begins to build again and we go into La Vibo MB, which takes the sound of the first rendition, but slows and calms it. This time they are all sitting, and it plays as reflective on life, but with an ultimately hopeful outlook. A key characteristic of the show is that Angel is the moral compass throughout. The joy that exudes from her at all times is largely what keeps the show upbeat and positive. Even at Angel's AIDS support group, there is a heavy air of hope. For instance, lyrics like, Forget regret, 
or life is yours to miss. This is what makes Jonathan Larson's work stand out so much. Rent is a fun show. It's hilarious. It makes you want to dance. It feels chaotic. But it's also heartbreaking. Most importantly, however, the show doesn't come to a halt whenever something serious happens. Even at Angel's funeral, everyone is still fighting. They are still dealing with their normal lives, and they still tell jokes. Or in other words, Larson captured what it's like to actually be alive. Chaotic energy everywhere. Life is treacherous, but it's also glorious. Even when everything is going the wrong way, there are still things to laugh about. There are still high moments. Nothing is ever just one way in real life, and the gray space in between is where Rent lives. It would be impossible to fully explain the impact of Rent, but here's a snippet of it. Because Rent is specifically about the plight of those in poverty and class divides, the producers created discount days to get tickets to the show. This is what began the now ubiquitous practice of discounting tickets on certain days with empty last-minute seats. Seasons of Love, the song that opens the second act, became a number one pop chart song and has shown up across media in the years since Rent's premiere, including being used, albeit slightly rewritten, in The Office in the episode Michael's Last Dundies to bid the beloved character a farewell. Due to discounted tickets being on only certain days and the show's popularity making tickets in short supply, a large amount of fans started camping out 20 hours before cheap tickets became available. They were deemed rent heads. The term is now used to refer to hardcore fans of the show. So, me. Of course, the most important contribution of Rent is that it was, indeed, the savior of musical theater. At the time of Rent's release, Broadway had transformed such that it was no longer relatable and felt too showy. Young people were largely uninterested. Broadway theaters were making much less money than they historically had. And then... Rent came along, full of young people, rock music, characters who talk honestly about the problems of the modern world, and which expressed dismay, frustration, and anger at a system that perpetuated poverty and death in order for the rich to get richer, a system that allowed a president to functionally do nothing, to slow down or stop the spreading of a plague because it was mostly killing LGBTQ plus communities. Rent wasn't just a musical. It was an anthem. Protesters of injustice began to incorporate chants of no day but today into their demonstrations. An entire generation that had previously felt invisible suddenly felt seen and understood and honored. It brought popular musical trends and genres to the stage, something that mostly wasn't done prior to this. But also, a young man sat in the theater watching Rent and fell in love. He discovered his artistic voice because of experiencing Larson's. That young man was Lin-Manuel Miranda. Miranda, who of course made Hamilton, the singularly most phenomenal show of our time, has stated many times over that there is no Hamilton if there is no Rent. 
The thought to focus on rap music in Hamilton was inspired by seeing Larson inject hair metal into Rent. Not only that, but after the runaway success of Rent, theater companies began looking for fresh, new, diverse musicals. To this day, this is the primary focus of Broadway. This helps draw in young folks and consequently keeps Broadway alive. Without Rent, there is no In the Heights, no Hairspray, no Dear Evan Hansen, no Be More Chill. Rent premiered January 25th, 1996, off-Broadway in the New York Theater Workshop. Jonathan Larson died on January 25th, 1996, at 35 years old, just hours before the premiere of his show, never getting the chance to see his work change the world. The first preview of the show, on the day John died, was altered to be performed for only his friends and family. Before the curtain rose, Anthony Rapp, who played Mark, came on stage with tears in his eyes and announced, Tonight, and every performance of Rent from here on out, is dedicated to our close friend, Jonathan Larson. Rent went on to run for 12 years on Broadway, becoming one of the longest-running shows in history. It closed in September of 2008. Rent is a musical that is a tribute to the human spirit. It's about finding hope in the face of hopelessness, about overcoming obstacles, and most importantly, about choosing joy. The characters make their lives, however short they may be, worth living by surrounding themselves with the people they love, their found family by celebrating what makes them different and unique. I'll leave you with a lyric from the show. Measure your life in love.